0: All right welcome everybody to Derek's Discussions episode 16 with Dugan Lloyd and you know Dugan you're at Penn State right now we basically just got talking you know this summer talking baseball you know how is life right now you know at Penn State after you know you finally got started with school.
1: You know Derek first it's a pleasure to be uh, here on your platform always I've heard a lot about the show Haven't been on it so uh, an honor to come on and think the big thing with being back at Penn State is just kind of working into a flow I think there's a lot of moving parts at the beginning of any semester especially when you're starting a year off so just kind of getting into the flow of things making sure you plan out your week I'm still trying to plan out my week uh today today was hectic but uh pretty pretty free now so um I, I think it's just about kind of resetting and um getting that weekly schedule and feeling a bit more comfortable with it, uh, as, as we move forward.
0: Yeah. Especially, you know, being in college, there's a lot of things to, you know, keep track on and, you know, going into my first question, um, what would you say is your biggest motivation? What is your why? Like what makes you pr- want to pursue a career in sports media?
1: I think it's just passion and interest that it's always been. I've been consuming and been a fan of not only sports, but just the way that sports are covered my whole life and really just getting to be creative and in an extent, not take things too seriously, but also at the same time trying to, uh, I guess mature into the role as, uh, as I work into my young adult years and I guess just doing a job that doesn't feel like a job doesn't feel like work. It just feels like, um, second nature, second hand, whatever. Um, and natural is that's my why.
0: And then how is, you know, everybody's story, you know, with COVID, especially from a broadcasting standpoint is, you know, totally different. Some people thought, you know, COVID was a good thing because, you know, even though there wasn't as many sports going on, there was more of an uh, influence on, you know, technology, TV, because obviously, you know, fans weren't involved. So how is COVID for you from like a broadcasting standpoint?
1: Well, if we're looking at the narrative of my broadcasting experience, I was. A freshman when it began, so I lost the last couple weeks of my uh, freshman, yeah, my freshman spring semester, and I wasn't officially a broadcast major at the time. I was undecided. I knew at that point I wanted to do broadcasting, and as it continued, I'd say sophomore years where I was hit harder, um, just not really getting to call games. I still had never called the game in person i did it watching off a tv once of a rerun of a i want to say maryland at penn state 2019 women's volleyball game Mm -hmm. um so i got to do that in the off campus bill or yeah off campus building and we had to wear masks and i think everyone's first time calling a game is a whirlwind but that was Uh, Not an enjoyable experience at first, and, you know, with everything, you grow confidence as it goes through. But throughout that whole year, um, just not getting any reps calling games, not getting any reps doing studio stuff. Um, And, I mean, like, I'm I'm not the biggest victim here. I think, honestly, I probably landed in one of the better age groups to experience it, just because if you were a senior that year, it messed up your entire job search. There's a hiring freeze. If you were coming in the next year, obviously there are, um, like you can barely even meet people on your floor in your hall in your dorms. And even the year above me, they lost their whole senior year of, you know, the whole Penn state, uh the Penn state experience and air quotes. But, uh so I, I don't think, I think it definitely hurt me, but I think comparatively, uh, it could have been a lot worse.
0: Do you think, like, since COVID, that, you know, like, the broadcasting, the TV aspect of stuff, they've, like, leaned into it a little bit more, knowing that, you know, you can't take it for granted because of, you know, the pandemic and not really being able to do, like, stuff with no real live events going on?
1: You mean, do the broadcasters lean into the COVID angle more throughout a game? Or... Yes. Or...
0: So I'll rephrase the question kind of like how, you know, throughout, you know, your freshman year, you said like it was at the end of your freshman year, you weren't, uh, you were still undecided at that time. You know, you finally figured out right before COVID kind of happened and then COVID kind of happened. Like, do you appreciate like just a broadcast more because of COVID not having, you know, that time to, you know, watch a broadcast or, you know, be part of a broadcast or do you think it's just kind of like, you know yeah. I knew I was going to go into that, or you know what was your mindset, you know throughout?
1: Well, I'd say at first, definitely, I would if I'm being honest i I'd, I'd say that appreciation has started to fade as more time has gone on, and it hasn't really been an issue, obviously, I mean, I saw you a couple times this summer, and I mean when you're calling forty four games in two months, you, you, it it sort of takes away from some of those old memories of, man, I can't do anything because you're doing something every day. And I guess not having too much time to reflect keeps you in the moment. So I'd say for a while, yes. But as time goes on, it's kind of like, yeah, that happened back. What can I do from here on? Uh, what's, that? what's that quote? I like that quote. Um, the future starts today. I like
0: that quote. Well, and then, you know, looking at it from, you know, obviously like sports media broadcasting perspectives, you know, are totally different than just a regular fan. So like when you're just watching just a regular game, obviously not Penn state, but just a regular, you know, sporting event, whether it be football, baseball, whatever it is, like, what are you looking for? Because, you know, at least from my perspective, I look at the game so much more differently than watching it, you know, just normally. And even when I am a fan perspective, I still don't – I'm not a true fan when I'm watching a game because I'm just analyzing, you know, everything going on. So, like, what is your perspective, you know, just on a game?
1: You know, that's a great question. And I always kind of talk about this. But as you said, like, if you have friends who aren't studying the same things you are, it kind of can get lost. I think my biggest – heave listening wise is when someone is either just way too excited about the small details or constantly yelling like i like it in the big moments i agree with that but sometimes when you hear a voice that um i guess you could say trying to do too much that can annoy me sometimes we're, i think it's more of a common fan enjoys that uh just the noise and the excitement and all that and there's a good argument there i'm not going to say they're wrong because at the end of the day broadcasters are serving the people that are watching them it's not about the broadcaster being like a dictator or a king or whatever you'd call it it's about making the people listening happy and satisfying their needs so i think it's kind of there's no one is right i think it's an interesting dynamic Between the common fans or someone who might not be a full time broadcaster, but is at least in that field and looking for different types of things. Um, But at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, everyone has their style. And I guess just being prepared and being calm and comfortable in the booth is really all you can ask for. I don't like to make things too. Complicated, just see something, say something. That makes yeah, sense. I'm making that up on the fly.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, you know, at least from my perspective, you know, when watching broadcasts or just kind of like anything in general, is, you know, I look at the little details. You know, it might seem odd to look at the little things, but, you know, if the little things can add up to big things. And I think, like, when just looking at a broadcast, like, not thinking that you're doing it, but like, even if you're just going to prepare for one. Because guess what, you know, when we're out of college, you know, we might be the fifth string guy for some television uh, company, we don't necessarily know that we're going to be doing the game. And I think just seeing how people go about their business in different ways is kind of exciting and also interesting to see how you can take, you know, bits and pieces from each each broadcaster. I think that's kind of, you know, the importance of broadcasting. And, you know, how is like going into Penn State obviously being undecided? Like, did you have any leans like going into broadcasting before Penn State, or did Penn State kind of help you out and, you know, find your passion?
1: You know, I think in my heart of hearts, I knew it was where I was going to end up since maybe my senior year of high school. But at the same time, I think I was more focused when I was leaving high school on. Like If I go the business route, it'll probably be easier to get a job and I won't have to put in um, the the grinds that... Uh, that's not fair to say. I'm saying that a lot of times the entry-level jobs in broadcasting are not as uh, luxurious as maybe someone in the business field. As far as bobbling out, like is it a practical decision to do this? Is this uh, a dumb risk? Because you only get to go through and get your bachelor's degree once you want to pick and i don't know find something that you are going to like um but i I think the more i went through my classes i took one entry entry-level business class and i knew it just was not for me i had really not that many great communications classes that first fall semester yeah but at the same time I knew that the type of jobs that I'd grown up watching and um semi-envisioning myself uh my whole life like that's where I had to be and even if I don't end up there at the end of the day it's that old quote if you leave it all in the field that's really all you can do um so just feeling that uh you're doing something meaningful and if you have a if your life has purpose to yourself that's really all that matters and that means something different
0: to everyone and how would you say like who slash what would you say is your biggest impact because obviously you know there's always someone that you know people look up to and I feel like at least from my perspective you know family like family's a lot but I feel like there's more outside of family that you can learn from than within that's just my opinion like what is your mindset towards that
1: well well You're completely right. Obviously my family I talk to more than anyone else about this sort of thing and it does all start with them, my parents and those conversations. But outside of them, as you mentioned, it's just talking to people that are a little older and a little more experienced uh in the industry and making those connections. Earlier today I was talking to a former student here at Penn State, another sports broadcasting or Uh, major at the time, now graduating. He's out in Missoula, out in the the big sky country. Um, And he's always, since since the spring of my freshman year, I met him. We talked for maybe an hour or so at uh, Tom Radio, which is a broadcasting club here at Penn State. At one of those meetings, he was a senior. And we just stayed in touch. And I'd say just kind of learning and hearing what he's doing a lot of the stuff he's saying now to me like sounds and feels very overwhelming but you just kind of got to know that coming in and embrace it and not try to pretend like you're not i think if you just stay transparent and make those connections and be honest but remember your motives and as you head on with your first question your why and just try to break things down and you know get 1% every, 1% better every
0: day. And then when looking at a sports broadcast, the entire thing, not just the broadcaster, not just, you know, the announcers, but everything like as a whole, like, what would you say like to someone that doesn't necessarily know what goes on, you know, behind the scenes of a broadcast, what would you say to them? Like, Hey, you know, there's more than just, because everybody just sees on the TV screen, two people talking to each other on sports, but that's not, that's not how it is, and you know, breaking through in the sports media world, you know, you might not dive right in, you know, be being the guy. So, what would you say about the entire broadcast? And then, what would you say is kind of, you know, your favorite type of broadcast or you know, favorite type of broadcaster?
1: Good question. I would say, as far as something that doesn't meet the eye, and I don't know if this is like a boring answer, but just the preparation. It's not. You show up at the ballpark. You. Write down your lineup, and then you just go. You have to, hey, especially if it's a team you're not familiar with, you gotta crunch the numbers that whole day, sometimes the day before that. Especially, I think NECBL this summer. I didn't know anyone playing in the league. I didn't know anything about it, and it's not household names. It's college baseball players from Division One, Two, and Three colleges, and so everything is. New, and you have to be able to adjust and try to get comfortable with people you're working with. And if you're following a team, fit in kind of with the players and have a good relationship for content. And as I said, preparing before the game is big. I think one area that sometimes gets too much focus is just naming stats, and sometimes you have nothing else to say. I understand that I've done it myself, but. No one wants to hear a stat for every single thing that happens. If you can get stories, that's always the best thing and knowing where to tell them. Um, But as far as just that one broadcast, I think it's important to just see whoever it is you're watching have fun. And if they can make the complicated seem simple and seem like they want to be there, I think that is the best uh, equation for a broadcast and what I what I enjoy watching.
0: <clears throat> what would you say the impact of sports is on your life? Because let's be honest, no one's going into sports broadcasting because they want to talk about sports and they've never played sports or just aren't interested in sports. So, like, when was that kind of a passion? It's...
1: <laughs> if I'm putting a year on it, maybe two thousand. 2004 2005 uh I grew up playing three sports every year throughout my high school experience played football played basketball played baseball through ninth grade then switched to lacrosse for two more years and I guess I was a two-sport athlete my senior year and got a job but um it has kind of consumed my whole life and you know at times if you one thing over and over again uh it gets old but sports seemingly depending on the sport i'm not gonna sit here and pretend like i watch all 162 yankee (laughs) games but um i'd say it, it just always has something new and it's just a great like way to meet people talk about sports it's a great way to do everything it's a nice breaker in every facet and the difficulty involved in playing makes it so much more interesting to watch and to call a game or to talk about a game on a radio show or however you're covering it is just such a a pleasure that is uh, exemplified by the skill level and dedication because the better you get on the field, the better you're going to get in the booth. And it kind of is a, I don't know. It's a parallel line that, that moves together. <clears throat>
0: and, and then obviously, you know, broadcasting with the, uh, the Navigators this summer, Um, you know, you're familiar with the broadcasting, you know, perspective, but let's say, you know, 25 years down the line, you're settled in a job like, what would you say, like, this is what I'm going to be doing? Cause obviously, you know, let's be honest with ourselves, you know, getting right out of college, we're not going to be calling games for ESPN or something like that. You got to work your way up. So like, what would you say, you know, 20 years, 25 years when you're, you know, comfortable in your position and you feel like you're earning, you know, what you deserve, like, what would you say kind of like where you'd want to be?
1: Wow. That is a tough one. I would, like to say i mean i've never i put thought into where i might end up in a year from now or i might end up in four years from now and hopping around markets and tv and those ter- type of goals i mean if i got to pick and if i got to just throw my goal out there I'd say i say it's to be working in some facet of sports tv I would love to call games here and there, but if I only get to pick one, I'd probably pick being an anchor or a host um, for some sort of sports network. And uh, I know there's a lot of different types within that niche, and I I can't exactly say, but some sort of show. And I've done podcasts before. I'd probably say something on TV, but you also don't know what the jobs are going to be like in 25 years because they're not going to be what we have today. It will change, and it's just finding the way that the jobs adapt, um, and which ones work towards your strength and how to develop skills that can be used and can continue your career. Yeah,
0: and I think the one thing you know you mentioned a little bit is you know we don't know what the jobs are going to be, and kind of that leads to you know streaming like Prime Video is doing Thursday Night Football, you know Peacock is trying to get involved, Paramount Plus is getting involved. These streaming devices are all all getting involved. So then not that the broadcasting perspective, you know, changes too much because, you know, let's be honest, everybody wants to be the play by play guy or whatever. But, you know, kind of the host role is something where people are a little shy away from just because, you know, the host has to dictate conversation, has to kind of be the guy. Obviously, everybody wants to be the guy, but it's a lot more difficult, I would say, than just, you know, calling a game because you got to make sure everybody's personalities kind of you know, collide. And that kind of leads into this next question for you. Like obviously wanting to be a host, you want to like, make sure everybody's involved. Like, how do you, like, how would you, you know, you know, preparation wise or whatever, you know, try to get everybody involved. Cause you know, you could have a booth of, you know, seven or eight, you know, when you're a TV host, but you know, when it's a broadcast play by play guy, you know, there'd only be two or three guys. So like, how would you, how would you, um, you know, kind of make sure that everybody, you know, around you is kind of, you know, getting enough words in and making sure everybody gets, you know, quality airtime.
1: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that really just becomes how strong is your relationship with that person. And you're not going to be friends with everyone. I mean, you might not like them, but you do have to work with them on TV. And I've been fortunate to work with a lot of people I do like, but it really just comes down to, A, repetition, because no one's chemistry is great at first. And the more you call a game with someone, we thought in the NECBL, by the time I was calling a game with someone for the second or third time, you know their flow. You know when they're going to want to talk. And when you look at maybe a studio show, a pregame show, a postgame show, a sports talk show, because people know each other and have been around each other and I guess the more time you spend outside of the studio and outside of all that stuff, um, that's just going to make your show better. It's all about just getting the chemistry down and knowing other people's strengths more so than just your own.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, talking, you know, not necessarily, you know, talking, you know, on live TV, but also talking off camera because, you know, off camera is kind of that situation where, there's certain things that you probably don't want to share on live TV, but off camera, you're probably like, you know, nobody's going to judge me or whatever. So I think that's, you know, really important. Yeah. And then what is one thing, this is kind of like my, my fun question on every, on, on this pod is, you know, what is yeah. one thing, what is one thing you want um people to know about you? Hmm. One thing
1: that I want people to know about me I would just
0: say, um. Because let's I'm be honest, Dugan, not everybody, you know, knows who you are.
1: That's true. I mean, I think first I want them to know my name. Uh, and then second, I think I want them to know that I'm doing my best. So if I mess up, um, don't blame <laughs> me. Uh, I want them to know that I'm six, two and a half, because that's very important. Um and I I'd say that just uh I wanna be known for someone who uh puts in the work, someone who is genuine, someone who's not trying to get people and someone who you can trust and uh confirm and is not is not trying to game anyone.
0: And now my last question of part one, we briefly, you know, mentioned it a little bit. But just overall, how have sports kinda of like affected you as a person?
1: Hmm. I'm not sure they affected me as much as it kinda of moulded me because from my first memory I've been uh watching and playing sports, so it's really kind of been a lifelong influence. It it wasn't like the first ten years I was called turkey and then boom, I I saw football for the first time <laughs> and I guess it's always just been my main hobby, my main passion. And because of that, I think it's taught me a lot of great life skills, just what it's like being part of a team and playing sports, I think made me better at my profession than just watching and studying and learning and all that, because you you learn those skills about how to work with others and holding yourself accountable, holding other people accountable, depending where you're at. So I think there's just a lot of life lessons in playing and watching sports if you are uh, willing to open yourself up to it.
0: All right. Now moving over to part two, you know, just talking sports. We're first going to talk about college football. Obviously, Dugan Lloyd, you know, at Penn State had a huge, you know, victory first week of the season. You know, how was, you know, the environment, you know, finally back college football is finally, you know, back.
1: You can't say enough, Derek. I love. I love to hear college football is back in my dreams. Um, it was weird opening season on a Thursday, uh, at Purdue. I guess Big Ten still set on uh making opening the opening week in conference, even though the SEC doesn't do that. Um, but I haven't um I haven't seen a home game yet this year. But it just—it's unexplainable. Um, the whole scene. I'm 21 now, so I—I uh, I was watching in a bar, unlike last year. Um, but the the play is going nuts every time that Penn State moves the ball. I mean, I'm not—I'm saying all this about like, the watching experience. I'm still not sold on the team. I'm never sold on the team. I never feel good about the team. Um, but it's just fun. As a college football fan in general, if you take away the Penn State part of it, uh, a huge weekend. And I know once we get NFL back on next Sunday or next Thursday or whenever, I think it's next Thursday, um, the, the landscape changes a little bit, but there's nothing like college football in a college town.
0: Yeah. Um. First off, you know, college football, I love college football. This is my sport. You know, Penn State coming out with the win, Big Ten. You know, what are your thoughts now, you know, with Texas, with, uh, you know, all the moving pieces, USC is going to the Big Ten. UCLA is still trying to go to the Big Ten. Who knows about the California, you know, Regency. But what are your thoughts on, you know, Penn State, if it does go through, USC, UCLA having to come over and play Penn State. What are your thoughts on, you know, having to face, you know, two, you know, big powerhouses in the West Coast?
1: You know, in a way, it does feel a bit inevitable. I mean, with NIL and with all that stuff, it's bound to go this way. It's about money. It's always been about money. And the universities are making decisions based off that. I welcome it. I'd rather the Big Ten get stronger. I don't want to uh, cower from any competition as a fan and as a, as a member of the Penn State University. But uh, I'm just curious what the next moves are. It sounds like the SEC is comfortable where they're at. They just want to continue to pull Texas in and pull Oklahoma in and see where they're at from there. The Big Ten maybe stays aggressive and goes and poaches a couple other players. But I think outside of the Big Ten and the SEC Super Conferences, it's going to be interesting to see the strategy of those next tier. The ACC, can they – they have that ridiculous TV deal, which they're basically kind of locked in for a while until the the big-time lawyers find a way to, I don't know, get out of it and get Clemson into the SEC if it if it goes that way. Um, and then even we've seen moves from the Big 12. At some point, are they going to have to change the names? Personally, I think it would be funny if they just keep the names as is and the Big <laughs> 10 has 27 teams in it. <laughs> um cause i don't want to i don't want to call it the big 18 or whatever you gotta keep it to the big 10 it was it's already at 14 i'm pretty sure right am i right on that i think it's 14 14 and uh, i think it'll be 16
0: i think it'll be 16 yeah. with uh U- usc and ucla
1: and then you never know where it's going to go from there so i would like them to stick with the names i guess the the regional stuff um is kind of thrown out the door now but uh It's just going to be interesting, not only to see what the big dogs do, but what those mid, what used to be considered power five, but now kind of mid tier conferences do, and especially the Pac twelve. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, uh, (laughs) wouldn't want to be in the Pac twelve.
0: Yeah, but you know, first off, you talk about names. Whoever named these conferences, like the Big 10 or the Big 12, like you had to have known that, you know, it's not going to stay at 10 or not going to stay at 12. So personally, I agree. I think it should stay Big 10 because I think it's hilarious. But I also think whoever, you know, made it the Big 10 or the Big 12 or the Pac-12 is just like, why would you have a number at it? That just doesn't make sense for me.
1: But you also run the risk of if you give it a location, Southeastern Conference, they're going to start pulling in teams from outside of the southeast part of the United States. So if you pick a location, do it based off that, you also run the risk of making the name pretty ludicrous as well. Think Big East. What if the Big East – I mean, Creighton plays in the Big East in basketball. They're not from the East. I'm <laughs> from the East. You're from the East. That's not. They're not part of the East.
0: Yeah, but the only thing I'd say about the SEC, though – you know, when you're looking at it from a standpoint of the map, you know Oklahoma and Texas are still, yeah. they're still kind of down south. But you know that that's that's a talk for another day. Anyways, right now they
1: are, right now the SEC is pretty accurate, yeah. but
0: keyword right my now. Question
1: is, what's it gonna look like in ten years or twenty five years when um I'm, I'm a studio host for um some sort of show?
0: Well, I guess. And guess what? The big thing though with college football is I'm excited but I'm also a little bit upset because I think it's a money thing is they expand the college football playoff. It's coming probably right now as we speak. It's supposed to be 2026. It's going from 4 teams to 12 teams. It's going to be six conference champions, five obviously from the Power 5, then obviously the you know group of in the non non Power 5
1: still team. exists. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's still going to be good when you're talking about the ACC, the Pac-12 and you know other conferences like that, which kind of is interesting to see this happen especially with the SEC, you know, basically beefing up everybody, the Big 10 beefing up everybody. But to me what this is really interesting to see is Notre Dame. That is the unknown with everything right now. I think I've talked about this with other people as well. Notre Dame is the biggest question mark, but when you look at it, this standpoint is Notre Dame, there was talk about going to the Big Ten, talk about the SEC. Are they going to the ACC? Who really knows? But when these TV deals came out, the big thing is NBC is in, you know, on the contract with Fox and CBS or whatever. People are saying, hey, if NBC is in that deal, NBC is going to give Notre Dame even more money, which bades the question, you know, if you're Notre Dame, Staying independent and getting more money from NBC, that's a good thing. So, you know, there's 12 teams. What are your thoughts on going from 4 to 12? Because that's a huge jump, not just for college football, but for all the teams and everything just in general, especially with, you know, having teams you have to win your conference to, you know, make the playoff. I think that's huge. My preference would have been, you know, go to 8 and then maybe go to 12. I think 4 to 12 is just too big of a jump right now.
1: Well, I see what you're saying. I, 12 wasn't the number I had in my head either. I was personally a fan of six with two buys. You earn two buys and play it like the old NFL playoffs we played because the four-team playoff was the worst playoff in sports. It was never entertaining. It was always the powerhouse of the year beats up on Oklahoma who just got in based off playing in the Big 12. And it, it was just never How many great games could you really think back on? I mean, I guess there was that one Rose Bowl with Baker uh, when he was at Oklahoma going back and forth and just losing to uh, Georgia that year. And then that was a great national championship. But more times than not, more years than not, four has been a just boring playoff. You have to wait so long for the games. So I'm a fan of getting more matchups. I know it's still going to be blowouts, but there's going to be more games. There's going to be more excitement just making it as Penn State's never they were never going to get a top four seed ending the season. That is never, it's a bit of pipe dream that no one actually put any, I wouldn't put any eggs in that basket. Just being on a college campus, knowing there's that excitement that we just have to, we can be in the college football playoff if we're a top 12 seed. It just makes it so much more attainable. And I see your point about it's a big jump, but, What what are we doing if we're intentionally making it eight teams? If we know we're going to 12 anyways, why wait for it? Let's just get it out of the way and make it 12
0: now. Well, the the reason I would say not 12 is, you you know, you kind of mentioned it a little bit is there's been tons of blowouts. I get it. You want more games and you want more money. I think, you know, you go to eight and I'm not saying you go right to 12 because I don't think 12 is the correct number at all. I think it's just odd to have 12 teams if you want to go big I say you have to go 16, but that is like max if you're doing college football and 16 to like me 15
1: that's just I, too many.
0: I think in in the future years, I don't like 12, it just seems like an odd number. I like 8 and I like 8 for the foreseeable future. Personally, I did like 4 even though you might not say that the uh matchups were that great. But then guess what, when it was the 2, you know, people were complaining, you know, there's less, you know, there's so much going on and I think Twelve is just an interesting number. I think if I was on that committee, I would just I just don't like the number twelve, you know, for the playoff. I think four is okay from a fan's
1: perspective.
0: I but. think four, eight, and sixteen would be my number. Would be my numbers that I would say I'm okay with. Twelve doesn't seem right. Six just doesn't seem right. So like I just don't like buys because if you're looking at it from a college perspective, you know, when you look at college football and a team has a buy. Depending on who they play next, they're either going to be a lot worse, or they're going to be ten times better because they're because they got extra preparation. To me, that just doesn't well, that seem fair. Court. Yeah, but I, I just why, don't like why, why buys the because of college athletes because of their minds. I think another thing is you know mental health has come up a lot in college sports as well. I think that's another thing you know if you get them an extra buy, a lot of things can happen on a college campus. They might not be focused. There's a lot more reliability on the coaching staff. I don't know. I just, it just seems weird to have buys in college playoff. sports. So
1: I think I think the teams are a bit more, uh, I don't know. I don't I don't think there's as many issues when a team knows they have a buy going to play. I say, I could be totally wrong. Uh, neither of us sit in college locker rooms very often. But I see your argument. I just feel like that. I don't know. I think it's a bit of a stretch for me personally, but um, I know, I'm not saying it's wrong. I like eight too. I'm a big fan of eight. I'm just saying I really have a problem with the buy where eight would work, and it does seem like a good, happy medium where it's doable. Where teams that aren't Alabama, Georgia, uh, occasionally Notre Dame, Oklahoma, like those teams comes in that are always there. It gets boring seeing them every year. So seeing some new blood get in is nice. Like, the Cincinnati game was boring. I'm not going to pretend like that was so great. Um, But I think I'm good with 12. But I also think eight is a good amount where if you have a great season and you're not one of those programs, it's totally doable. But it's still very hard to do. And I'd, I'd say eight to 12 12 range is probably my threshold. I don't think anyone has thrown 10 out there. I don't like 10. 10 is a terrible number. Um, but yeah. I
0: don't know. I just, I think the only thing that I worry about, you know, going to 12 is, you know, we talk about buys. I just, there's just something about buys that just doesn't sit well with me when you're talking about college athletes. I think it's, it's just something to me, but I think, you know, 12 is not a terrible number. It just seems odd to have buys, you know, in college and then other stuff's going around at the end of the day. The one thing I worry about when you're talking about expanding the college football playoff is, you know, can these college athletes handle it? You know, if you go to 12, you're at four, you're only expecting, you know, an extra game or two after the regular season, With 12 teams, you could expect three or four more games. You know, that's a huge change for some of these college athletes to play an extra three or four more games. You know, it helps them for the NFL. It also, you know, injuries are another thing. But at the end of the day, I think the college football playoff is better, you know, expanding a little bit. But I'm just not sure 12 was the right answer. But we'll see. 2026 will be coming around sooner rather than later. And we'll see uh, what happens with college football. But you know, one it's a shame game we
1: have to wait so long to see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I'll be out of college by then, so yeah, we'll be we'll be calling games in the college football playoff. You know, Dugan. <laughs> in
1: in in four years, I think we can.
0: <laughs> you know, what was your what was the game? You know, the first weekend to me, there's a couple games that stood out to me in that first weekend. Obviously, this week, Saturday, wait,
1: week zero, or the past weekend.
0: This past weekend, because week zero, let's be honest, wasn't much excitement, I would say. But obviously, you know, there was some excitement. I look at two games in particular. You know, the first of all, the Pittsburgh-West Virginia game was a great game uh, to see both transfer quarterbacks in that one. But the two games that stood out to me that were interesting when you're talking about seeding is, obviously, the Oregon just got absolutely crapped on against Georgia. That was just not exciting to see. It was pretty much after the first minute of the game. The game was pretty much over. Uh, but another a surprise game that I was shocked to see how good it was. I was a little disappointed because, you know, Notre Dame was in there and my dad went there. But guess what? It's all right. But Notre Dame, that was a great matchup. I was surprised at how well, you know, Notre Dame's defense hold up. I think, you know, the wide receiver Jackson, Nick Jigba, you know, him being hurt was huge. But, you know, good, solid weekend. What really stood out to you? about the first weekend for college football?
1: I mean, yeah, both those teams. I think the big surprise to me was, I thought Oregon was... No. I expected Oregon to cover, I think it was 16.5 points. And you could tell from the second drive, they could not stop Georgia's offense. And Bo Nix, I think that might be the end of his college career as we know it. He was making bonehead throw after bonehead throw. I mean, hey, we're not we're not doing it, so I, I'm not gonna t- take him apart too much I'm being a bit harsh, but he, he's just not um he's just not what I was expecting to see from that Ducks team. I grew up rooting for the Ducks and while I go to Penn State now I don't really root for them anymore. Um, that now one really stood out. And then how about the Sunday night game? Last night I know it might not affect seating since neither team was ranked headed into the game, but that was one of the wilder endings you will see. The special the special teams for Brian Kelly's Tigers. I mean
0: <laughs>
1: that is two two drop punts. They block the uh field goal, I'm pretty sure there was maybe one other block kick. I don't Yeah, I think there was like three block kicks in that straight. game. But yeah, that was that was tough to watch, especially transfer quarterback Jaden uh, Daniels from Arizona State. He played great. I loved watching. He was keeping that offense going. And then on the other side of things, um, is it Jordan Travis? That's that's Florida State's quarterback. I hadn't seen him play before. I liked him a lot too. So both those quarterbacks were really, despite not seeing a lot of points, impressive. I think they moved the balls really well in between the 20s, and then just the execution in the red zone wasn't great on either front, but I don't know. Uh, an exciting group. I'm not a big Brian Kelly guy, so it was nice seeing LSU lose that game and how like upset I guess you could say he was, uh, spoiling his big opener. But at the same time, it was the only game on, and I would have liked to see some overtime. So I wanted, I wanted the extra point to be converted. I did call it. I said, you can ask my roommate, two seconds before, I said, he's missing this. Just because it just felt too right.
0: Yeah, I think LSU's kicker, you know, a lot of things are going to happen. I hope he, you know, stays safe when he gets back to LSU because Louisiana, because it's not going to be a fun site going back to Louisiana. It might be the scapegoat,
1: but (laughs) it was blocked. It was pretty pretty poorly protected from uh, the offensive line on that special teams unit.
0: All right, so now we got four for college football. You know, a lot of rumors are going on. Let's be honest. We kind of know who's going to be in the college football playoff. It's pretty, it's pretty obvious. Obviously, it's probably going to be Alabama. It's probably going to be Ohio State. Georgia's probably in. You know, who would you say is that fourth team? And if you disagree that those three teams are going to be in, then who do you, you think is going to be in there?
1: So you had Bama, you had Georgia, and you had – who is your
0: – Ohio here? State.
1: Ohio State, okay. Well, I would definitely agree with you on the Ohio State pick, and I guess the other – I guess all three of those I like. I'm interested. I want to see – I'm not saying Clemson's my pick, but I want to see how DJ plays tonight. Uh, I don't know when this is airing, but, I mean, we're recording this before Clemson plays Georgia Tech, and – I feel like they're due for a bounce back year. Everyone kind of hated on them a bit too much. Or if he doesn't have a great first half, does Cade Clubnick come in, the five-star quarterback recruit, freshman, do they start him? And there's a lot of questions there. Uh, Dabo obviously is no stranger to the college football playoff, so obviously you've got to pencil them in. I'm out on Notre Dame. I'm always out of Notre Dame, but they get unfair uh, praise and treatment from the committee every single year. So I wouldn't be surprised if by some dumb sequence of events that Notre Dame somehow gets the fourth and we're stuck watching that uh, one four matchup. But I guess like you want an outsider pick. I don't personally endorse the uh, everyone loves Baylor. I don't, I haven't, I personally haven't even seen Baylor play yet. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you've seen the Des on, <laughs> on College Game Day, his big four. That just seems like he's looking for some eyeballs, but um I don't I don't exact I feel, I feel like the two big teams that everyone's on right now are Baylor and Utah. Will they make it?
0: Utah won't with losing to Florida.
1: It's week one. It was close. You can't Florida's I mean, going to be average in the SEC. But I'm not – the loss doesn't hurt them that much big picture.
0: Well, you're talking big times, picture, yes. how so but... many
1: times we've seen a close – I'm not saying based off their performance, but the whole issue with having two big teams play week one is these teams don't have preseason. They don't scrimmage other teams. They only practice each other. So to base it off a matchup where – they haven't even hit someone in a different jersey yet, and if it's a close game, I'd throw that out the window. It's about how you grow throughout the seeds, and then hey, the leash is going to be shorter, obviously. It just isn't one of those games that really makes me doubt them that much.
0: I think whoever gets that four seed is going to be interesting. I've seen Baylor play. I I like Baylor. Not a fan of their offense, though. Clemson, I feel like Clemson's just going to do something, but I think what it comes down to when you're talking about that four seed, it's going to depend on if Notre Dame wins out. Now, that's that's a huge if. Notre schedule, they got to play BYU, North Carolina, who I think is a sneaky team in the ACC, Clemson too. Who knows about USC? That's kind of a question mark. Nobody's really talking about them. I think if Notre Dame wins out, I think they might be in. People can discuss that amongst they want. But oh, I well, think...
1: for sure. If they win out, they are a shoe in they don't have to play a conference championship game, but that hurts them. The loss to Ohio State?
0: no, I'm no, 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 I'm saying not not having a conference championship kind of hurts Notre Dame in that I aspect.
1: Don't think so I think Notre Dame actually profits off that. not money. I'm well, yeah, money, but yeah, money. <laughs> I think the team maybe I'm biased there, but I just view Notre Dame as a fraud team that picks their own schedule and always has it all set up for them and gets a lot of um, praise and, I guess, over-respect over from uh, the committee. So, yeah, I know. I, I definitely sound very biased. But at the same time, a semi-close loss to Ohio State, who's a juggernaut, um, and just keeping that close in week one, if they went out, they're in. There's not only goes any debate.
0: So you think if Notre Dame wins out, they're automatically in?
1: Yes,
0: 100%. That's a bold take. That's a bold take. No. That's a bold take. If you're talking about a Baylor team that, let's say, is undefeated or a one-loss Baylor team, what well, we've seen in the past is Dame has made the playoff. But the question is, I I think it's up for discussion if Notre Dame wins out. Now, at the end of the day, if Notre Dame wins out, I think they are in the playoffs but I don't think it's a guarantee because you're talking about if USC has a terrible year this year. Okay. If BYU is not that good this year, if Clemson is not that good this year, if North Carolina is like, all right, like they have been in the past, you're talking about all those teams that are expected to be great this year and have okay years, your strength of schedule goes down the toilet.
1: That'd be a classic Notre Dame team. They beat a bunch of good, not great teams and then get in.
0: Yeah, but you're talking about teams that are supposed to be better, like a Clemson. Uh, their like, whole
1: formula is they have like a close, a kind of close loss to a good team, in, in their years they get in, kind of close loss to a good team. Sometimes it's Clemson, um, and I guess they got it out of the way here with Ohio State. If they lose again, I'm not saying this. I'm just saying if yeah, they if win out, like they your hypothetical uh, states. I think this is just hits to repeating
0: itself. I think that's that's an interesting take. I don't. I think it's kind of a little bit of a hot take just because of what I've seen. You know, talking about Clemson. You know, talking about USC. Talking about BYU. Like those teams, in my opinion, are all kind of question marks because we don't know what they'll be. But I think I think it's interesting to see if Notre Dame had to do that game over, would Notre Dame win that game number one? And number two is, if Najigba was in the game the entire game, is that game not even close? Those are two things that, you know, stand out to me because if you're talking about that game, Notre Dame was up 10-7. to 7. They blew a, I understand it's a three-point lead. They gave up 14 unanswered points. 14 unanswered points. That's two touchdowns. Yeah. That's terrible. Listen...
1: Are you saying the committee is going to sit here with these hypotheticals of what could have happened and break it down that closely? I think, listen, in three months, I think it's going to be like, oh, yeah. Remember when Ohio State won 21-10 over Notre Dame? Like, it's it's going to we're, – we're in the moment now, so I get it. But I don't think we should be a prisoner of the moment here. All the big – all the big-time – um, results that'll be stuck fresh in our head. The storyline won't be uh, they blew a game against Ohio State. It's going to be like they haven't lost since. This is yeah, a I new think team. you don't want to play the boys in South Bend.
0: Yeah, I think what's going to happen is they'll look at Notre Dame. Notre Dame will win out. What they'll say is they'll look at the game and say, okay, Notre Dame lost by 11 to Ohio State. And if you look at it, then Ohio State's probably going to get better. They're probably not going to say, oh, they lost, they gave up the 14 points. I'm just saying if you're talking about, like, really close numbers, like, if you're talking about a B, uh, a Baylor team, a one-loss Baylor team wins their conference uh, championship against a Notre Dame team, let's say it's the three other teams that are automatically in because they're so much equivocally better, I think that then you look at the numbers and you say, okay, who did Baylor lose to? How did Nerd, how, who did Notre Dame lose to? You look at Notre Dame, they lost to Ohio State by eleven and that was the first week of the season. Notre Dame probably would be in in that scenario just because of losing to a close game against the Ohio, Ohio State, who's, you know, in. But I'm just saying, if you look at it from a perspective of, you know, they gave up 14 unanswered points. You know, that's that's tough to live by in a big game. I understand I it's week one.
1: Three months, though.
0: It's week one, so that will have some impact. But I think when you talk about it, it's it's definitely going to be interesting.
1: I just... I can't remember a year that Week One factored in that much into if a team got in or not. Well, I
0: think Notre Dame is going to lose. You know, when you're talking about the entire rest of schedule, so Notre Dame's loss won't be affected as much. It will be more affected in the sense of do they deserve? Do they deserve a New Year Six?
1: Yeah, but at this point, who all right, I don't want to swear. But at this point, these teams don't even care about those. When we, my first memories of college football, I I am from Connecticut. I remember when UConn went to the Fiesta Bowl and they got killed by Oklahoma, but it was so exciting just to be in one of those New Year's Six bowls. And now guys will sit out. I'm not blaming them. I I understand. I want to see them play, but at the same time, it doesn't have the same luster it once did. So I don't. I I haven't even thought about making a New Year's Six Bowl since, uh, I don't know the year. I think it's just slowly been phased out.
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of why they expanded the playoff.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day, I think the playoff fixes more than – fixes more problems than it creates.
0: All right, now moving over to the NFL. Obviously, the NFL season has not started, you know – today September 5th but you know it's approaching so Dugan what is your Super Bowl pick number one and then who are your sleeper teams
1: question I would say that the most popular pick that I was subscribed to for a while would be Bills win the Super Bowl Um I Feel like it's just a little too perfect. So obviously they're not playing in the AFC West, which means they probably will grab the one seed. I, I'm not factoring any injuries in this, so I'll say if no one gets hurt, Bills grab the one seed. They ride the snowy Buffalo uh home games into wherever the Super Bowl is being played this year. I don't, I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, but so all right, I'll say Bills in the AFC. You throw it to the NFC. I don't like the Packers this year. I think – I'll give you a sleeper team. I think the Niners. I think the Niners are going to lose the
0: Interesting.
1: I haven't seen too much of Trey Lance. And the interesting thing with him is he barely played football these last three years. Like, what if he just comes out and sucks? We haven't (laughs) seen him play. Um, Even that season where they did that game at North Dakota State, that one game. During COVID, just so he could get some scouting. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but I am trusting what I am hearing from my confidential sources out there in San Francisco. I think the Niners are a sleeper. I'm a Cowboys fan, but I have no faith in them, uh, especially with the injuries and just the way the team is ran. So Got you, I'm, Jason taking, Peters. I'm taking the Cowboys out of out of contention there, and then. I'm not sure if I actually want to go with the Niners. All right. You know what? I Because I hate Tom Brady, I'm not going to put the Bucs in. Yeah, I'll say Niners. I'll say Bills beat the Niners in the Super Bowl.
0: Bills beat the Niners in the Super Bowl. I got Bills, Packers, and I got Bills. and then Packers? S- yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers, he's kind of at the end of his career. I think he's going to have an MVP season this year.
1: He's had a lot of those in the past that haven't ended in a Super Bowl. Well, yeah, but, cool, I think, but I think I think since
0: they got Devontae Adams, I think you're gonna you're gonna people you are gonna flame through the DMs and be like, Derek, you don't know what you're talking about at all. But I'm gonna say it anyways. I think since Devontae Adams leaves, Aaron Rodgers, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a better playmaker, distributing the ball to all of his receivers, and I think that's going to make the Packers a little bit better. I think you've seen it with other players as well. They throw it to a guy over and over again because they're the number one receiver. Once you get rid of that receiver, you add other weapons. I think then they become a better team.
1: All right, so before I disagree with you, I will say that that is a good point you bring up if you watch Rodgers late in the playoffs. Especially in that Niners game, he just threw it at he just threw it at Devontae Adams. Any time something went wrong, he was overly reliant on that. They just don't have guys to throw the ball to. Like who? I who
0: like Christian. Wa- I like Christian Watson. I like Christian Watson, North Dakota State wide receiver they just drafted. I like uh, Alan Lazard. They're solid pieces. I'm not saying they're you know the greatest weapons necessarily, but I think. More quantity overrules quality in this situation.
1: The Packers are going to have to be very run based. AJ Dillon. I love AJ Dillon, by the way. He's one of my favorite. I, I hate the Packers being the Cowboys fan, but
0: Aaron Jones way, is solid. I
1: just, I just enjoy watching AJ Dillon. I want to see him get more carries. And I guess he, he has improved his ability to catch the ball to the backfield. I would just say I want to see the ball in twenty eight hands more.
0: Yeah, and I think when you're talking about it, there's less receivers for the Packers. I think you're gonna see Aaron Jones more in the slot more in the, you know, type of scenario where he's getting the ball out of the backfield. So I think it does give AJ Dillon more of a, you know, option there.
1: But just not having a guy that can beat a secondary and I just I, I'm not I'm not sure if your opinion of taking Devontae Adams off the Packers makes them better.
0: I don't necessarily. I think it makes <laughs> Rogers better because I think I've seen this with other quarterbacks too. Um, I want to give an example, but it's a quarterback that had Odell. They threw the ball to Odell over and over and over again. Odell leaves. I get it. You you lose a big piece there, but your quarterback says, "Okay, I held. I don't have my guy. I got to develop and you know make chemistry with other receivers and." you know when you have one guy and he's double teamed you're not you're still going to throw the ball to him you're not going to trust your receivers and i think trusting your entire receiver core is better than going to one guy
1: all right well how about they had all those years where they could have just given Rodgers a solid second option they didn't do it i mean i guess because the packers are cheap yeah all right well, that's true all, all their owners but um I don't know. I'm not saying I have a solution. I just, I just think that if they could have years ago found a way to draft, not go out and get one, draft high up in the draft, um, someone who can make plays and take advantage of your window you have with Rogers.
0: All right, and on episode sixteen of Derek's discussions, Dugan Lloyd, everybody, before we, you no know, go. Do you have any uh, last words for our listeners out there?
1: Eric, I thought this was a very productive discussion. I I didn't know what to expect coming in, but uh, I think you run a, a clean a clean show, and uh, I had a great time.
0: Dugan Lloyd, everybody.